name of Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean it. Jesus. Jesus. There's no power like the name of Jesus. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is the answer. Amen. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Amen. There's no power like the name of Jesus. I love that. I could sing that all day. Anybody else? I think we should sing that again at the end. All right. Y'all ready for it? I want you to jump like you just jumped. All right. I want you fired up like you were just fired up because I need to sing that song again. Anybody else? Right. Come on. Y'all were jumping around. It's hot in here. Anybody else hot in here? Three weeks ago, our units blew up. This week, it's too hot. What's going on? Come on now. I also went to the steam room just before church uh, um, and then, uh, you know, trying to get my uh, voice loosened up, ready for the day and kind of forgot about what that would do to me for the rest of the day, you know, like just hot, sweating, you know. So if I have to take a, like a sweat break in the middle of the service, uh, just call me some Southern uh, preacher, all right? So come on now. I need my rag and then we'll be good. So, but anyway, are y'all glad you came to church today? I am glad you came today. If you're new, my name is Jesse. Just want to say thanks for coming. I love you. I'm glad that you're here. I really am. Um, don't know everything about you, um, but I do know that the more you come into God's house, uh, the better your life will be. So I'm glad that you started that today. Um, we've got a gift for you after the service, so please run out there and uh, find one of the fluoro yellow people and they'll hook you up uh, with your free gift. Um, and then, um, uh, and then, what am I, else am I saying? Um, my brain just died. That's not a good start, is it? All right. So um, anyway, um, also, if you're new, uh, just so you know, we're walking through Genesis. Um, that's our sermon series right now. Um, it'll be over shortly, probably about another 24 months and it'll be done. And so uh, we've been in it for about seven, seven-ish months now. And we're only up to the second half of Genesis chapter 12. And so, but are you enjoying walking through this, this, this book of the Bible, right? Um, it's really cool. And the, the commitment we've made, uh, that I've made to the Lord uh, as we walk through Genesis is that we will emphasize what God emphasizes. We will repeat what God repeats. We'll talk about what God talks about. Amen. And that's the beauty of walking through a book uh, like this. Uh, you really just got to hit it all, you know. And what does God think about this issue and that issue? And uh, what can we learn from this person's uh, shortcomings, failures, and successes? And so that's been great. And uh, and so today's going to be another day. Uh, where we're walking through a difficult uh, portion of Scripture. Um, in fact, today, uh, the first third of my sermon uh, is uh, really targeted at the cranky people and uh, those who are like, ah, too much change, it's cr- I'm getting cranky. Uh, well, the first third is for you, right? And uh, so don't get cranky about it, be grateful. I crafted a whole third of a message just for you, right? You're special, all right? You cranky buggers, you're special, all right? Um, and then a third of the sermon, um, realistically, probably like, uh, uh, like, like maybe, uh, maybe a little bit more than a third is for men, uh, specifically, because you can't help but, um, but, un- but, but see some real failures of manhood uh, in this passage that I'm reading. Uh, and then the last third-ish is uh, for everybody, okay? So everybody's going to leave blessed today. Sound good? And uh, uh, the last third is for everybody, either you're in a difficulty or... 
Uh, maybe if a difficulty comes your way, we'll just talk briefly about how to handle that uh, instead of how uh, Abram handled that today. So anyway, we're going to um, Genesis chapter 12, um, verse 10. Uh, I'm going to read uh, all the way till verse 20. So if you've got your Bibles uh, in your hand or on your phone, uh, whip those out. Let's read that together. Okay, you ready? Awesome. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt. Now, what land? If you remember last week's sermon, the very last verse that we read was, and Abram journeyed onward, still going toward the Negev. Okay? So in the Negev, where he landed, where he went, where he was at that time, uh, there was then a famine in that land. So then Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Um, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know you are a very beautiful woman in appearance. Now, if Abram just stopped there, this would have been a really beautiful moment. You know, like it just seems like Abram's just walking along, going about his day and he stops and he remembers, you know what, I haven't told my bride in a long time that she's drop dead gorgeous. So he stops and he's like, baby, you are hot as heck. But the problem is he doesn't stop at hot as heck, all right? He goes on and says, and so when the Egyptians see you, they will say, uh, this is his wife, and then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. He should have stopped that, you'd drop dead gorgeous. That's where he should have stopped. Anybody else? Come on now, right? When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians did in fact see that Sarah was very beautiful and the princes of Pharaoh saw her and they praised her. They talked about her beauty to Pharaoh. And then so Sarah was taken into Pharaoh's house and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram by giving him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, uh, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. You know you're, you're having a good time when someone's giving you camels, right? Verse 17, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his whole house with a great plague because of Sarah. Man, after a little while, Egyptians are going to be like, look, when the Israelites come to town, just tell them to leave. All right, plagues roll in with Israelites. Just tell them to leave, you know. And uh, so anyway, so plagues come. This is the first time. This is kind of like, a, like a, a, almost a pre-story to a future story. Um, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. In other words, make sure this moron leaves. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray, because that there is a hot mess. All right, come on now. Heavenly Father, there's gotta be something we can learn from this hot mess. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us, that you would guide us today. God, that you would help me to preach a word that's beneficial to your people, Lord God, not just, to, not just to tickle ears or make people feel good or not just to fill pews and, 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 to, and to fill rooms so we can build bigger auditoriums, but Lord God, that, 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 that this would be a message that would help people live their lives better, 
more in line with your word, more in line with your ways, more in line with the work of God in our lives, how you designed and planned our lives to be. So God, I pray that you help me to preach that uh, in a way that people receive it. I pray you help people's hearts to be open to the word that they would not come here to be affirmed in their beliefs, but to be reinforced in the word of God, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, somebody say, Amen. Turn to your turn to your neighbor as you're about to take your seat and say, She is my sister. And you may take your seats. <clears throat> now I don't know about you, but as I read that, I can't help but wonder what in the Borat vibes is going on in this Bible verse. Anybody else? Do we have any Christians at Eternity Church honest enough to admit that about 15 years ago, you did in fact go to the cinema and watch Borat? Anybody else, right? Uh, you know, like, and, and those of you who did go, um, is it interesting? Do you find that this story is vibing way too close to the start of Borat? Anybody else, right? In November of 2006, Lauren and I uh, were invited to see Borat and I had no idea at all what it was. I just thought, good Christian people, invite me to a movie, gonna be wholesome, gonna be good for my spirit. Um, and, the, the, and, the, and I was told by Lauren, no less, um, that it's a funny documentary. Now in Lauren's defense, that's what she was told as well. <clears throat> I remember even talking to her parents who were like hyper Christians, you know what I mean? Like, like they, they, they won't even say, oh my goodness, you know what I mean? Like, like, and they were like, it sounds hilarious you should go and see this movie. And so, so we went to the theatre there on Dean Street and, and, uh, and very, very soon into the movie, I discovered that I've made a mistake and that in fact, this movie's not gonna be beneficial for my life at all. And so uh, not too long into the movie, I told Lauren, baby, we got to go. And so, um, so we walked out and we told our friends we were leaving and they walked out too. And, and, uh, and I've actually done that a lot in my life, by the way, just walked out of a movie. Um, I, I, I may have spent in Australia $900 to see that movie. And, um, I, but, but do you know what? I'd rather waste $900 than rot my soul. <clears throat> Anybody else, right? Now we all have different convictions about what sort of movies are okay or not okay. Uh, for me, anything with really sort of sexually crude stuff in it, I'm just out, you know, I'm just not gonna be there. Um, there's been some difficult battles in my life in that area and I don't wanna go back and the Holy Spirit has told me to keep that stuff out of my life, right? And so I will, and so I walk out. And, and anyway, at that time, I was the youth pastor at our church. And as we're standing in the lobby there with our friends, laughing at how we just did not know what we were getting ourselves into. Um, as we're laughing in the lobby, I see 15 to 20 of the kids from our youth ministry, uh, single file walking out of the theatre. And that was a moment for me where I was like, phew, glad I listened to the Holy Spirit today, right? Anybody else, you know? Anyone seen the movie uh, Billy Madison where he goes back to school and at the very end of the movie, um, there's a guy who's like crossing people off, off a list and, and Billy goes, whew, glad I said sorry to that guy, you know? Like, like as these guys are walking out of the theater, I'm like, whew, 
glad I listened to the Holy Spirit today because everywhere you go, you're setting an example, aren't you, right? See, as I walked in and sat in front of these kids not knowing they're there, they thought, oh, phew, we're allowed to see this movie. This is good for our souls. Then they saw me leave and they're like, Ugh, I guess we should go, you know? And they tell us on the way out that they did in fact see us come and they did in fact see us go. I find that everywhere I go, I'm setting an example. Yeah. It's kind of annoying, honestly, when you have my personality and you just sort of want to mess around everywhere you go, right? <clears throat> find when I go anywhere, I'll fly on an airplane, you know? Every time there's always someone on that plane that knows me, but I don't know them. We haven't met yet, but they've been coming to church for three to 10 weeks. And at the end of the flight, they'll introduce themselves and be like, hey, I heard your voice. I saw you up there. I'm so-and-so. I've been coming to your church now for 10 weeks or whatever it is. And my first thought is, wow, when that air steward was so rude to me, I'm glad I didn't stab them because you're here, you know? And so you're always setting an example, right? And so you always gotta be aware of that. Anyway, back to the story. Um, <clears throat> when, though we left the movie, um, it, it wasn't before seeing Borat kiss a hooker and explain to everybody, she is my sister. And so in honor of the bizarre parallels and similarities between this passage and that passage, um, the title of my sermon today, She is my sister. All right, so turn to your neighbor again and say, she is my sister. Turn to your other neighbor and say, this is not a promotion of the movie, don't watch it. This is just for those who have a very sinful past and were in fact at that movie to learn lessons from it. So today we're gonna to get three lessons from Abram's messy and foolish entry into and exit from Egypt, okay? So what I wanna to talk to you first um, uh, about, let's just talk about how Abram came in, right? Now, Now this passage starts with a famine in the land, okay? Um, and there's a drought and stuff. And so Abraham, who was, by the way, recently saved. Like we often hear people use this story as an example of why it's okay to be uh, stupid in your life uh, as a Christian, you know? Um, but pro tip, he got saved in the, in the paragraph before this. Okay, at some point, you really got to stop giving your wife to strange men. Okay, this dude was a new Christian, all right? Uh, in fact, I'm going to tell you that point's probably yesterday. That that should not happen. Can I get an amen, right? <clears throat> but this guy is a new Christian. We're like, oh, well, Abram lied. Abram was a brand new Christian, all right? Uh, the paragraph beforehand he gave his life to God. People seem to think that at this point he was some like seasoned in the word, memorized it, didn't even have one, my friends, all right? He didn't have 25, 30, 40, 50 years of Christian living uh, under his belt. Um, he, he hadn't years of studying the word of God. No, 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 Abram was a brand new Christian, so to speak. Um, and, and I find that, um, and so when you have someone like that in your church, messy things happen, right? When, when someone just gets saved, sometimes they bring a little bit of chaos and mess with them, have you noticed, right? Too many Christians though wanna to come to their perfect church and sit with their perfect friends and see their perfectly dressed minister standing at his <clears throat> perfectly polished pulpit, ready to hear a perfectly sanitized message to tickle their perfectly arrogant little hearts. They wanna punch into church and they wanna punch out of church. They wanna tick that box, they wanna get her done, they wanna go home, put it on Instagram and tell everybody, I look how good I am, 
look at my great life and my great church and my wonderful, perfectly dressed, suited up pastor and all the rest of it. They wanna leave that day without being bothered by the need to serve each other, without being bothered by the need to give and help fund the mission, without being bothered by the need to help somebody who's actually broken. And they wanna leave without being bothered by the need to actually make disciples. They think that it's go into the world and disciples appear by osmosis. No, 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 no. Go into the world, preach the gospel and what? Make disciples. They wanna punch in, punch out, didn't do anything, weren't involved in anything, didn't have to serve anybody and didn't have to make any disciples. No, no, no. they don't want new people. Too many Christians in too many churches don't want any new people in their churches. New people are too inconvenient. New people come with drama. New Christians come with drama. New people come and they sit in your seats. Too many new people make the room too crowded. You might have to sit close to somebody. You might not be able to have your little three or four seat buffer between your family and the next family, even if you sit up the back when there's too many new people. New people mean you gotta sit close enough to somebody that you might go home with COVID. Come on now, <clears throat> new people. New people might complain, the music's too loud. New people might send emails after the sermon because the pastor wasn't sanitized enough. New people might come and compare our church to their last church and blah, 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 drama, drama, drama. And that's just the new people that were already saved before they came, right? Not to mention new Christians or the unsaved people that visit every week. No, no, they come in with their drama and their mess. They come in the middle of their divorces seeking hope and help and then they get divorced anyway and ruin our statistics, right? Because people say, well, the divorce rate in the church, it's not that much better than the world. But the truth of it is, by the way, if you didn't know, it's because a lot of people who are in the middle of a divorce are broken and hurting and needy. In the middle of that, they turn to Jesus and they come to church and then their divorce finalizes, gets added to it. They ruin our statistics. New people, new Christians, oh my gosh, right? New Christians, they still sin bigly. They haven't learned the art of hiding your sin and pretending you're perfect. They haven't figured that out yet. They don't know how to do it yet. They're messy. They let you know. Sometimes they wear it on their shirt, you know. Sometimes their shirts cuss at you. You're like, what is happening here? New Christians might steal things from you. New Christians might smoke in the parking lot. New Christians might come to church hungover. I'm not telling you to come to church hungover. I'm just saying if you're hungover, come to church. Amen. They might get off the pole and roll into church. They might come smelling like weed. They might steal your sermon props. That actually happened, by the way. One day, many, many years ago, 
we had our stage in that back corner before we did the first renovation about six, seven years ago. And, um, and, and we, I did a sermon. It was probably similar to this. Um, I don't really remember it at all. But for some reason, I had a box of sin. Does anybody remember this sermon, right? I had this box of sin. And in my box, I had like, like cigarettes. I had a bottle of whiskey. And I had a bong. And... and and now, now you think that's funny. Imagine being the youth pastor when I said, hey, can you go buy me a bong? And they're like, honestly, I don't know where to go. I'm like, just go to the south side. It'll be there, all right? Just, just go, go buy me a bong, all right? And <laughs> now what's really, really funny about this particular sermon illustration that day is in between services, my bong got stolen. Someone stole it, right? You never ever thought you'd hear the pastor say in a sermon that someone stole pastor's bong, right? <laughs> but new people, right? New Christians, broken people, hurting people, sometimes they come with drama and they usually bring that drama in here. Just like I did. And just like you did when you got saved. Just like you did in your family did when they first gave their lives to Christ. Amen. But more importantly, what I'm saying is just like Abram did. Abram came with so much drama. He literally turned his wife into a hooker to save himself. Gave him to another man, gave her to another man to say he lied, he cheated, he got paid for it. He got people and stuff. She went to Pharaoh's bed and there was a mess. And the dude was a Christian, so to speak. They bring some drama. This is what God's grace brings into your church. Broken people. People who need a healing. People who need restoration. People who need hope. We need to help them find life. The life that Jesus Christ died to bring them, amen. And so because of God's grace, we welcome them. And because the truth is preached and the Spirit of God is moving, they'll find freedom, healing, and restoration in the house of God. Amen. We welcome them. We're not going to call Abraham the father of the faith, but then turn away a sinner in 2023. Amen. <clears throat> Sometimes when, you're, when, when you have a lot of new people, people you don't know, people you've never met, sometimes it gets messy in church. You don't want a church that's not messy. A church that's not messy, a church that has no drama is a church that has no influence. You know what? If there's no messy people in your church, no one's lives are being changed anymore. It's just for me and you and you and we'll just keep getting more awesome or at least in our own heads getting more awesome and no one else's lives are changed and we've lost our purpose. Amen. My old pastor, Pastor Warren McMartin, he always said that if your purse is safe at church, find a new church. And he wasn't joking, and I'm not joking today. If it's ever okay at Eternity Church to leave your purse on the seat unattended while you roll out to the lobby, and if that's ever okay, find a new church. I hope there's always someone at our church looking to steal your stuff. I hope that from today for the rest of our church's life, you ought to lock your doors in our parking lot because we bringing everybody up in here, amen. 
Oh, I hope your purse is never safe at Eternity Church because broken people do stupid things. Yeah, you might not have stolen, but you did stupid things. Don't judge them because they sin differently than you did and you do. Amen. Broken people do stupid things. I don't ever want our church to get too fancy for foolish people. Too bougie for broken people to fit in. Too big for bigots and racists to find hope in. Too nice to welcome nasty people to change in. Too arrogant for an adulteress or an adulterer to find healing in. Too polished for people to find hope and find truth and find healing in. Now we're gonna stay scrappy, amen. Oh yeah, we're gonna get a big new building and it's gonna be nice, but we're gonna be messy in that big new building. Come on now. Yeah, we'll mop the floors after every service, but we're gonna make a mess every weekend as broken people come to church with their brokenness on display and praise God when they respond to the Word of God, their lives will be transformed and they'll leave a little less broken than they came in that day. The truth is preached and as the grace of God is offered and the power of God is on display, they won't stay broken forever. <coughs> Can I get an amen? Now we're gonna keep preaching the truth. We're gonna keep winning the lost, amen. We're gonna keep making disciples. We aren't ever gonna forget that we too were once lost without hope. We were, we were doing foolish things, maybe different foolish things, but we were messy, we were dirty. In comparison to a God who is perfect and holy, we were messy and dirty. We're gonna remember that we too were once stuck in a slimy pit of despair as Psalm 40 says, He lifted me up out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. You are where you are because God got you there. So let's welcome other people to have an encounter with God so He can get them there too. Can I get an amen? Come on, I thank God I'm not where I used to be. And I thank God that even though none of us are where we ought to be, that even though none of us uh, who are alive, that none of us have completed this journey called discipleship, that all of us are still welcome in God's house. The grace and the goodness of God welcomes you to church. Hearing the truth and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life will set you free and help you stay that way, amen? Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, amen. That is what welcomes people to have an experience to change their lives in the presence of God. <clears throat> so don't get an attitude because the church gets too full, right? Um, last night, there's a lot more people on a Saturday night than I would normally expect. You know, it's probably bigger than this service, actually. It didn't snow three inches before service last night, but, but it was good. So... As we grow, your seat might get taken. They might sit in my seat. It literally says my name on it, literally. And they still might sit there and be like, who is this Jesse Melium? <clears throat> Don't get mad because you used to be able to leave your purse on the front seat. Don't be a Jonah Christian. You know what Jonah was like? Jonah was like, I ain't going to Nineveh. They're a bunch of filthy morons. I'm not going over there. They're disgusting. In fact, people avoid Nineveh because it's got such a reputation for being a bunch of evil morons, right? I'm not going there. God's like, you going there? He's like, no, I'm not. I'm going over there. And so he goes over there and then God sends a fish and the fish spits him out over here. And, and, then, and then Jonah goes to Nineveh and he tells them the goodness of God with an attitude nonetheless. He's like, God loves you. And so apparently even that works. And so he tells them that and they're like, fine, I'll give my life to Christ. And so they all all give their lives to Christ, they get saved. And Jonah is like, I knew you would do that, God. God's like, what? 
He's like, I knew that you would forgive them idiots. And he got an attitude because thousands of people gave their life to Christ that day. Jonah had an attitude because people got saved. Imagine being that person having an attitude because a bunch of people came to church and took your seat. Having an attitude because a bunch of people came to you. Now there's so many people. Now I didn't even get to meet the pastor or his wife anymore. I used to be able to talk to them after church every Sunday, but now there's too many people. Oh my gosh, God, I knew you would do that. Good Lord, I don't want to be a Jonah church. That gets an attitude when broken people inconvenience our lives so they can find hope in the name of Jesus. So don't get cranky. And if you are cranky, fix it. Because if you're cranky that things are changing as the Word of God is preached and souls are saved and lives are transformed, you need to fix that. You're going against the will of God if you're cranky about that. You need to fix that. Okay, just repent. God, I'm sorry, help me to embrace the change that comes with this. Now, if our message changes and all of a sudden we get all soft and we're like, we don't wanna preach that because we don't wanna offend people, get angry at me. All right, but if we're still preaching truth and grace and lifting Jesus up, get over the attitude, support the mission, maybe start serving, maybe start helping, maybe start mowing those, those people's lawns, maybe start serving those single moms, maybe start helping people in a broken place. Can I get an amen? But that's not the main point I wanna to make today. There's so much more to be learned from this passage. Uh, there's a lot to be learned about the foolishness of lying to escape difficulty. There's a lot to be learned about that. There's some really great lessons for men as the spiritual heads of our houses in here as well. And I wanna to get to that now. And so, so listen, Abraham says, or Abram says, um, she is my sister, all right? Uh, now, technically he's not lying, or, or, or at least in a sense, she was his half sister from his mother, sorry, from his father, not his mother. Um, and uh, we re uh, remember we did say this is a jacked up family, right? Like he, just last week, you know, jacked up family that he came from and there are a bunch of pagans and, and, uh, and of course uh, his daddy had multiple wives and multiple children and concubines and whatever else. And, and also at this point, it wasn't uncommon uh, for people to marry their close relatives. In fact, it was actually common for that to happen uh, because apparently the human DNA was close enough to Adam that it wasn't causing any serious issues and it wasn't until later on uh, in the human story that God forbade relations between close relatives and all of that. But all that aside, what he said was not in an effort to tell the truth but in an effort to hide the truth to save himself. So whether or not it was true or not, it was an effort to save himself. And even if it was okay to hide the fact that she was his wife, and even if it was to tell the truth, this is my sister. Well, who would farm out their sister, their married sister to sleep with the king to gain safety or possessions? So even if that's your intention is to tell the truth about the fact that that's my sister, Right? Who would give their married sister to some other man so that you can get money and safety? Peter talks about how men are supposed to treat women. He talked about how women are the weaker sex. Now, ladies, before you all get up, walk out and protest, listen, it didn't say the weak sex, it said the weaker sex. And if you don't think women are physically not as strong as men, you're dreaming, all right? It just is what it is, you know? You can, you can debate it, you can argue about it, you can get angry about it, but you're just getting angry against your own body. 
It is what it is. I read a statistic recently that in applied strength, that the weakest 1% of men are still stronger on average than the top 1% of women. And so in applied strength, and that's not including like people with different disabilities and things like that, but it's an important thing to notice that this is a physical fact, all right? This is biology, okay? So he says that they are the weaker sex, not the weak sex, the weaker sex, and that they should be honored and taken care of. Honored and taken care of, right? Now, weaker vessel, by the way, so it's not saying that you are spiritually weak and without us, you would be just it would be a mess. It's just a weaker vessel. Talking about your body is what he's talking about and that men have an obligation to care for, protect and, uh, and, and, and look after and honor women. So, so how then is a man turning his sister into a hooker, protection of the weaker sex? But even worse, she was his wife and he let another man take her as their wife And in the meantime, for that little exchange, he receives cattle, goods, money, manservants, female servants. And presumably this is where Hagar comes into their lives as well. This is not how a man is supposed to act. Come on, can we, like, let's talk about this story. Let's not just jump over it, all right? And let's talk about this story. I've seen so many people use this story to talk about how even in the midst of your sin, God can bless you, and he did. But we're going to talk about how the blessing had burdens later on, but burdens that were his own making, not burdens because of what the devil tried to do to him. This is not how a man is supposed to act. This is not why God gave men strength. This is not a good example of being a man. He was still a man. Hey, you're a man if you're a man. The question is, are you good at it? This is not an example of being good at it. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But Abram, we need to have a talk. You got some changes to make in your life. See, people with brokenness are going to come into our lives. And many of us on our own are going to bring brokenness back into our lives at different points. And you know what? Grace, you're still welcome here. Grace, you're still safe. Grace, you're still righteous. Grace, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to be uh, embarrassed to be seen with you. You're welcome. All good. However, you've got to make some change. You're also called to be holy, as we talked about uh, recently as well. Grace and truth. So let's talk about how a man is supposed to treat his wife. Ephesians 5, 25 um, to 28. Husbands, love your wives. Well, he didn't do that. Because that's definitely not loving. Come on, right? Some of y'all are like, oh my gosh, he's being so harsh to Abraham, the father of the faith, all right? He was a new Christian. Let's just look at his life for a moment, all right? Husbands, love your wives. Fail. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Nope, did the opposite there. Gave herself up for him. um, That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. Definitely did not sanctify and cleanse her. In fact, made her putrid. He did that. Um, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle or any other such thing that she might be holy. Nope, Uh, there was no setting her apart for Abram in this story uh, without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands, love your wife. Gave yourself up for her. Greater love has no man than this, that he give up his life for a friend. And God tells us to have that attitude for our wives. Give himself up for her. Yeah, you know what? What Abraham did was the opposite of how God commands men to behave with women. 
It is not a woman's job to use herself as a shield to protect a man. It is, however, a man's job to use himself as a shield to protect her. He should have fought to the death for this woman. You're like, Jesse, you're a bit harsh. No, I just know how to read my Bible. All right, a man, if you, boys, if you're going to get married, don't do it if you're not willing to get stabbed for her. Hello, come on. Guys, don't do it. If you're not willing to get, to get beat to a pulp to protect your wife, do not get married. Let her dad look after her. He'll do a better job. Come on now. He should have been willing to die for her as Christ laid himself down for us. There's some uncomfortable truths here. I'm sorry. But listen, I'm not just, this is not just me being like, oh, I've got some old school ideas for you. No, 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 this is theology. This is both the design of God and the command of God in a man's life. You need to look after your women and children in your life. It's a man's job to protect the women and children over them and to preside over the values and the directions of their homes. And he did neither in this story. He allowed her to be used and abused by another man. And he did not preside well over the family's values in this moment. What's funny is that Pharaoh had more honour than Abram did in this story. In verse 17, we see that the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And so Pharaoh called Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why did you not tell me that she is your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then take your wife and get out of here. Listen, when Abram entered Egypt, the great pyramids, the pyramids and the great pyramid were already probably a couple of hundred years old. Isn't that cool? So the story we're reading here, when he goes down to Egypt, the Great Pyramid was already a couple of hundred years old. Unreal. And the Egyptian king that he lied to would have been Wakar Actios III. And interestingly, that same king wrote wisdom literature, including advice. He wrote a lot of wisdom literature that we can still get today. And it includes advice concerning um, the treachery of the Asiatics. And I wonder if he was talking about Abram because of the deceitfulness and the plagues and the troubles that came along with him. So young men, let me talk to you for a moment about being a man. And I'm not perfect, but I am humble enough sometimes. I felt like Moses then, I'm so humble. No, no, I'm humble enough because I've got other men in my life that humble me and make me be humble, right? I've got other men in my life that I look up to that are like father figures in my life that tell me, no, Jesse, behave, no, don't do that. You need to fix this, right? I've got one who's been helping me not cuss for the last nine years, you know? And um, I've, got, I've got lots of good men in my life that, um, <clears throat> that help me do better. And I want to share something with our young men. I want to ask you a question. What are you doing to prepare yourself to protect the women and children around you? Yeah. And you're like, That's, this seems like a weird thing to say. No, no, this is the word of God. What are you doing to protect yourself? Sorry, to, to prepare yourself to protect the women. How's your health? Is it bad because you drink 900 Cokes a day? How's your strength? If disaster comes knocking, are you going to be the man carrying the woman and children or the shoes? I saw a picture recently of a man, and again, I don't know the backstory, and there is a possibility that there was another story in this and he had a broken back or something, right? 
But in this, in this picture, there was a great big flood and there was a, there was a soldier carrying a woman and a, on one arm and a child on the other hand, but the dad was in front carrying a pair of shoes. And I'm like, do you want to be the guy carrying the shoes or the guy carrying your wife? Come on, which one do you want to be? Right? Like, I, I want to be the one carrying my wife and my kids. Bro, could you carry my kids' shoes? Listen, leave your Fendi's behind. You don't need the Fendi's. You don't need the Nikes. You don't need the Adidas shoes. Leave it all behind. Come on now, what are you doing to prepare yourself? If a car accident happens and you end up in the accident, are you gonna be the man the young lady fears? Or will she thank God that it was you she crashed into? Which one are you gonna be? This week I stumbled upon something that made me very angry. Very angry. Really angry. And I've got time for anger in this sermon, so we'll go for this. This week I ran into, uh, I, I dropped the kids off at school, I turned out of the parking lot and there was a car accident. It had already happened, I didn't see it happen, but no one was doing anything. Um, and there was uh, a car like sideways on the road and then people trying to get past it over there, like moving up on the curb to get past on the other side. And I'm like, well, this is a mess, I guess I'm stopping. So I put my truck behind it, I put the hazard lights on and, and there they were up in front of me. And so I went up there, I'm checking them, you okay? Yep, yep, cool, cool. It's like a maybe 20 year old girl, she had a kid in the back, either hers or her sisters or her friends. Um, and, uh, and, and so I'm like, all right, look, uh, can I help you? Can I, can I move your car out of the way here? So she gets out, she hops up there, I back the car, I put it up on the curb there. Uh, we're talking to her and then I look at the other car over the other side. And, and then, now let me preface the next part of this story for a moment. This guy in the other car might have had a broken back. I doubt it, but maybe, possible, right? And so if he's in church today or if he comes in the next service or if he watches this online, I don't know the whole story. But I do know that I went and checked on him and he goes, how's the other person? And I'm like, have you not got out of the car? He's like, no. The dude, I was there for 25 minutes and not once did this man, this grown up man, not once did he even get out of the car to see if the other person was okay. To see if this 20 year old girl that he had had a serious accident with, the whole front of her car was caved in, his had a little scratch on the side of it, and not once did this man even get out of the car to see if this woman and her kid were okay. And that is not how a man is supposed to act. Yeah, if you're dying, I understand you're in the car. You're like, I'm bleeding out, can't move. All right, right? But if you ain't dead and you ain't dying, get out of the car and check if she's okay. Get out of the car and check on the little five-year-old kid in the back seat. Be a man. Oh, you hurt your toe? Get up and get out. You don't sit in the car when some woman's in a caved-in car over there. Your car's fine and all you're doing is ringing the police and your insurance company. Who cares if it costs you money? Who cares if you get blamed for the accident? Get out and make sure they're okay. That is a very bad example of being a man. That there, him and Abraham, that him and Abram and this, they'd be great friends. Great friends, ticked me off, right? Get your bum out of the car and be the man God called you to be. And again, maybe his back was broken. Did not look like it to me. 
Since living out of town, I have stopped for so many cars on the side of the road. And I love it. I'm all about it. It's good fun, right? Lots of cars. You know, one guy's, uh, their battery completely died. You know what? Most people don't carry a spare battery. So it's like, cool. I understand that, right? But I've also stopped for a lot of people with like, um, like flat tires. And, um, and cool, I love helping people. I do. But I started getting a mild attitude after about the fifth car in five weeks where it was a man in his car and didn't know how to change his tire. Now, I, I, I was like, okay, some of them was just a dude. Two of them, they had their girlfriend in the car with them in sub-zero temperatures. Now, I grew up on a farm, and I know I'm old school, okay? All right? I'm old school. I get it. But listen, boys, you got no business driving a young lady around in sub-zero temperatures if you don't even know how to fix a flat tire. No business at all. Let her daddy drive her to work. Let her daddy take her to church. Let her daddy take her to meet you at the restaurant. But until you can change a flat tire, you stop driving girls around in sub-zero temperatures. Can someone say amen, right? <clears throat> Seriously. Seriously. Protect the not as physically strong sex by being prepared to do what you gotta do to make sure that your wife, your sons, your daughters and other people's sons and daughters are gonna be safe. Oh, here we go again. Another man spewing out stereotypes and living in his toxic masculinity. Listen, Janice, when your house burns down or blows down in a storm, do you want some modern soy boy masculinity to turn up? Or do you want some of that old school toxic masculinity to turn up and get your family out of that house? What do you want to turn up? You want, you, 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 you want Manny to come in his Prius or do you want Doug with his Dodge? What do you want? Come on now. Listen, if, ladies, if you've got a flat tyre and you're stuck on the side of the road and it's minus 15 degrees outside, do you want some soy boy to come make you a non-flat latte on the side of the road? Or do you want to see some old school toxic masculinity turn up and change your tyre? What do you want? Come on, can I, get some old, can I get some old school men to give me an amen? Look, and I know that I learned a lot of this stuff at a young age, but listen, there's a lot of things about being a godly man that I didn't learn at a young age, and I had to humble myself and ask another man to show me. Yeah, I learned some of this stuff, but you know what? I was crap at managing my money. And I had to humble myself and go to another man and be like, bro, my finances are a hot mess. A hot mess. Everybody's owed money by Jesse. Help me fix my finances. And I had to tell him the whole truth about how messy it was. Then I went, and guess what happened in that humility? My finances got better and have become a strength in my life now. And I'm able to help other people have good finances because I had to humble myself. And guess what? I still don't think I know it all. Every now and again, I'll ring Doug or, or I'll ring Brad or I'll ring uh, uh, Heath and other, other good godly men in my life. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, what should I do with this thing here? What should I do with this money? What should I do with this loan? Should I do that? I... And I still ask for advice, even though it's become a strength. If you want to be good at being a man, Stay humble and admit you don't know what you don't know. I have friends who are 
who didn't learn much about godly masculinity as young men. So in adulthood, they didn't make excuses, but they start learning stuff. They learned how to lift stuff. They learned how to get strong. They learned how to provide. They learned how to change a flat battery. They learned how to change a flat tire. Come on now, listen, you gotta learn this stuff. You can be stuck on the side of the road waiting for someone else to come save you and your girlfriend, or you can get on YouTube and flip and Google it. (laughs) Seriously, before you run out of gas and everyone freezes. Some people in here are just like, what is happening at church today? Look, I'm just reading the word and, and I'm just seeing a failure of masculinity. A hardcore failure, failure, failure of masculinity. And I know that everybody wants to talk about equality and whatever else, but listen, we're not equal. We are not the same, ladies. I am not the same as you and I will never be able to breastfeed a baby and I will never be able to give birth. My wife can, she did, she's amazing. I honour her, I thank God for her incredible pain tolerance. I cry if I stub my toe, I'm impressed, right? That's amazing. But she also will never be able to lift what I can lift, punch how I can punch. And and, and you're hearing what I'm saying? There's just different gifts God gave us. And if we can, can honour the gifts God gave them, can we at least honour what God gave men and say, clearly you were designed different for a reason. Use it, don't abuse it. Can I get an amen, right? Now, I wanna be clear. Godly masculinity is not about what you look like, whether or not you've got tattoos. I've got some. Whether or not you've got long hair or short hair. I've kind of got both, right? <laughs> Whether it's not about what you're wearing, it's not about whether or not you wear Ugg boots or not, all right? In fact, um, <laughs> on, on Christmas Day, I had Ugg boots on beforehand because it was very cold. I wear Ugg boots like all week, FYI. If you see me at a cafe on a cold day, I'll be in Ugg boots, all right? And, um, but I'd never preach in them. Um, but on Christmas Day, I, I, I got done from the sermon and I walked into, the, into my office and I was like, oh, I forgot to change my shoes. <laughs> and I preached in Ugg boots, you know. It's not about what you look like or what you wear. Listen, you can be a hipster and be masculine. You can drink a non-fat soy milk latte and be masculine. It's more difficult, but it can be done, all right? It's about how you behave, all right? Masculinity is behaviour, not what you're wearing. And I wanna encourage the young men to look to older men and ask them, help me be good at being a man. In fact, um, I bought a website recently because I was just like, man, we got to teach some dudes how to just do basic dude things. Um, and so we, we, I bought a website called theshilveryproject.com. And, and I think what we want to do, we're going to start some podcasts on there talking to different men, you know, maybe talk to businessmen, maybe talk to, 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 to healthy men, maybe, you know, just different things about uh, ways for men to, to look after themselves and be good at being a man. And one thing we're going to do is something that we're, we've decided we're going to call dude clinics. And in these dude clinics, we'll say, all right, everybody, we are going to teach you how to, um, how to uh, change a, a flat tire. So if you turn up at this time uh, with your car, we're going we're gonna to slash your tires and make you change it. And so we're, gonna, we're just going to figure out how to teach you how to do these things. And we'll teach you how to push start a car. Not that anyone has a manual anymore, but it is fun. And so, um, so we'll do some of that stuff. So anyway, so... Shall we move on for the bit that's for everybody? Good, all right. 
Last note from the story, Abram's custom. Listen to this, this is important. You remember last week I talked about how Abram had a custom of building altars, right? What's fascinating about this story is in this particular difficulty that came into his life, his custom of building altars pauses and his old school deception, his old school habit of deception takes center stage. He was a new Christian and at first he was fired up, excited, faithful, building altars, worshiping God, telling everyone about Jesus. He was very bold. But in this moment of famine and fear, he stops worshiping and he tries to solve the problem on his own and he leans back into the carnal man, into his old nature and he leans back into deception, lies and half-truths. When you take the focus off God and what God can do and what God has commanded you to do, and when you invite deception into your life, you also invite chaos and fear into your life. And when you go against God to fix your problems, you make things worse every time. When God has said, do it this way, and you're like, I'm going to do it that way, it's, it's not going to go well. Now, I know many of you might look at the story and you'll be like, well, he, he's still got servants, he's still got riches, he's still left alive and, and all of that gear. Yes, he got riches, but those very riches caused strife between his people and Lot's people just a little bit later in the story. Yes, he got servants, but along with those servants came Hagar, who helped create what is still a thorn in Israel's side. Yes, he kept his wife, but their sins made her barren for years and years to come. Yes, he survived, but it almost cost him the woman through whom the promises of God would be fulfilled. And so the foolishness of lying to escape difficulty is forefront and obvious in this passage. And I want to encourage you, don't give up on what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be to win favor with mankind. Because favor with men that comes at the expense of who God's called you to be will cost you and it will hurt you. Favor that comes with compromise will haunt your life for many, many years to come. Instead, be the man or the woman that God calls you to be. Instead of leaning away from God in a difficult season, remember his word and lean in. Could I have the band come back up, please? If they can hear me. If they don't come in five seconds, I'm going to start singing Amazing Grace. Three, four, five. Amazing Grace. I do love that song. It's amazing. Can we sing it next week? Amanda, can we sing Amazing Grace next week? Thanks. <laughs> Could you all come out now, though? Thanks. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> That's not Amanda. <laughs> He's a man. Duh. Duh. But it's not Amanda. <laughs> that was good. Come on. That was good, right? Yeah, anyway. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What we're going to do now is we're going to open the front for worship, okay? Service will close in about six minutes. I, I was about the same time last night, and we closed it on time, okay? But before we um, open the front for prayer, uh, we're going to build an altar, so to speak. So if there's difficulty in your life, you have an option. Build an altar and worship, as was Abram's custom, or lean into your carnal nature, lie or try and fix it yourself or forget faith or forget God's word. I want to encourage you in the middle of difficulty to build an altar. Amen. In Psalm 23, 
David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What I love about that story is the imagery of just taking a moment to come to the altar, sit down at the table, worship the Lord, and, and God's feeding me. I got steak, I got, I got salmon, I got veggies, I got a beautiful meal in front of me. Meanwhile, there's arrows and grenades and bullets flying all around me as the enemy and the battle wages on around me. But I'm sitting down in the presence of God. And I'm being strengthened and I'm finding wisdom and I'm finding nourishment and I'm finding hope as I go to the table. I want to encourage you, go to the table, come to the front. If you're in a difficult moment or season in your life and build an altar. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.